Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. Brian Flores was recently fired as head coach of the Miami Dolphins after three seasons, the last two of which he led Miami to a winning record. Now he has filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL and three teams, including the Dolphins, alleging racial discrimination. We wanted to learn more about this lawsuit and what it could mean, so we caught up with Andrew Brandt. He is executive director of the Morad Center for the Study of Sports Law at Villanova University. He is also host of the Business of Sports podcast and he's a former vice president with the Green Bay Packers. Really interesting conversation. Give a listen. So this was quite the the bombshell this week. What is your reaction, your initial reaction, once you've kind of dug into it to this class action lawsuit that was filed on behalf of a uh, former Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores? You know, it's interesting, Matt. I'm teaching at Villanova the other day, and it's a class in my sports business, sports law class talking about name image likeness, talking about college athlete rights. And I'm about a hour into a two and a half hour class and the students are all kind of buzzing. And they kind of said, Professor Brand, you may want to look at this. <laughs> and no one leads to say we never talked about name image likeness anymore, that, that class. Um, my first reaction, speaking of sports law, is there are certain people in the annals of sports law that put themselves out there that are pioneers that sacrifice personal gain for the greater good. And we can think about Kurt Flood and Jackie Robinson and John Mackey and Andy Messersmith, uh, Colin Kaepernick. And here's another one. Brian Flores is unlikely to ever coach in the NFL again because he's gone scorched earth at three teams and the whole league. But it's all about improving the system that's in place for black coaches following him. And I look at that. That's my first reaction before getting into the details, some of which are very salacious. So, okay, we've heard about only one black coach in the NFL after his firing and the firing in Houston, but here's evidence. Like, here's something like more than just kind of a, a fleeting thought about it. So it's time to dig into this. Yeah, that's one of the things that jumped out is Brian Flores is an impressive guy who's kind of in the 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 heart of his career this is not a guy who's at the end or a guy who he's proven it and for him to come forth with all this and to come forth with receipts I think it gives it a level of gravitas that is really impressive yeah and we'll talk about the receipts in a minute I, I just think that when he was fired from the Dolphins there were a little you know again people are like well that doesn't sound right you know they won seven games in a row this year they seem to be a seem on the rise. And then this little stuff comes out about he didn't really get along with the GM and abrasive. And, you know, those things tend to happen as rationalizations for hiring, firing a, a really good coach. So I, I think it's kind of comes first full circle, like what's really going on here. And he's been through the hiring process, although it's still going on in this 2022 cycle. Um, so there's a lot, you know, this is just the start the start of the Brian Flores saga, not the end. What are some, for people that aren't familiar, what are some of the things to know here? Kind of the bullet points of the heart of this. 
Okay, it's a it's a class action lawsuit, which right away I should talk about in terms of that. Class action is basically an invitation to others to join. So my sense is that his lawyers and maybe him specifically have talked to others that feel they were similarly aggrieved by their teams. And maybe they're their head coaches, maybe they're general managers, maybe they're assistant coaches, but they have the same charge of a sort of an institutional racism against them that they felt in their time working in the NFL or one of these teams. So it's an invitation. The class has to be certified by the judge. I think that will happen. And then we'll see who joins. We've heard about Hugh Jackson, who was with the the Cleveland team, the Browns. We've heard about maybe Marvin Lewis, who was with the Bengals a long time, maybe others, Jim Caldwell, and then younger assistant coaches as well. So we'll see how that goes. And they're asking for a few things. Damages, of course, there's no amount, amount specified. So we don't know what the money amount is. Um, but really seeking this, it's called injunctive relief, but it's really kind of like, we want change. And they list some possibilities, such as there are chaperones, if you will, in these interviews from the NFL or from experienced African-American coaches that sit in and make sure it's a real interview, uh, full documentation of interviews, full written, how to go after the interview process. Why do you didn't like this guy? Why do you like that guy? Instead of this, where we are now, which is kind of like, oh, they hired that guy. Why? Oh, they didn't like Flores or why not? What, what, you know? So I think it's more about systematic change. And there are some charged words in this lawsuit, such as plantation and the owners sitting up in their luxury boxes, the white owners looking at the black players. Slavery is an, is a term mentioned. So the genesis, the, the basis of this lawsuit is that, you know, these black coaches and players are not treated well. You talked about salacious details. I think the the top line of that is the text exchange with Bill Belichick, where he seems to congratulate Brian Flores for getting the Giants job, realizes he thought he was texting Brian Dabble, who ended up getting the job, and Brian Flores wasn't scheduled to interview, I think, for a few days. Uh, that's considering who it's coming from and the, the timing of it. It seems to check a lot of boxes of what some of the problems are. Well, let me talk about that, but I, I'm going to challenge you. I think the most salacious is the Dolphins. We, we'll get to them. <laughs> but the Patriots are involved in damning the Giants. And that's interesting. People have even suggested Belichick did this on purpose. Um, and again, for people who don't know, Belichick is texting a Brian, which he thinks is Brian Flores. Like, I heard you get, you're, you're the guy for the Giants. Brian Flores says, well, I'm not even supposed to interview for a few days. <laughs> And Belichick's like, well, you're the guy. And then Flores is like, you sure you're talking to the right Brian? He's, oh, and then he says he screwed up. It was for Brian Dable. So what that tells us, of course, the upshot of that is that Brian Flores had no shot at the Giants job when he interviewed, thus sham interview. Now, other people, I think, I'm pretty sure interviewed after that text. So it wasn't just Brian Flores that had a sham interview, other white coaches too. If you remember, Dan Quinn of the uh, of the Dallas Cowboys actually took himself out of that running 
um, around that time. I mean, we can piece it together where I guess he probably felt the same thing. Uh, so that's an interesting thing. But yeah, that's not a good look for the Giants. But the thing you just brought up, we just talked about, that's the only hard evidence in the complaint. Now, we're going to talk about the Dolphins. I mean, I I hope for Flory's sake, there's other hard evidence beyond he said, he said, because that's going to be the fight. But yes, the Belichick texts are not a good look for the Giants. And that's that's evidence. And you talk about he said, he said, and you talk about the Dolphins. Uh, he talks about conversations with the owner, Stephen Ross and the GM. And basically says, Stephen Ross, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, offered him $100,000 for every loss because they wanted to try to get the the number one pick. Uh, that's another thread of this that's incredibly alarming on a completely different track. Yeah, I think that's that's the one. If I'm the NFL, that's the one I'm most worried about. Um, two parts to the, to the Dolphins. One, I'll get back to the one we just talked about, but he was supposedly – uh, invited to go to a yacht <laughs> to meet a quote-unquote prominent quarterback who has later been identified reportedly to be Tom Brady when Brady was moving from the Patriots to the Buccaneers. That may not be that big a deal if Brady – we don't know the timing. Like if Brady had already said whether it was official to the contract date or not, like I'm out of New England, you know, I think that's okay. but if it happened when Brady hadn't really jettisoned himself from New England, that's a problem. Uh, the bigger issue is the 100,000. Again, the allegi- allegedly, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, was purportedly ready to pay $100,000 per loss in their effort to tank and get the best draft choice. When Flores refused, the lawsuit states, it was treated with disdain and Ross was mad and it kind of screwed up Flores's relationship, not only with Ross, but with the general manager. Um, so that's a problem. It's a problem for a couple of reasons. The NFL prides itself on competitive balance, never tanking. We hear about tanking, but we never had evidence, hard evidence of tanking. The other part is sports gambling has come to sports, especially the NFL and that's one thing, and that's great, and that's fan engagement. But what about integrity? Can you imagine if if the betting community ever got aware of that, and if that information got out, and, oh, and they're trying to lose? Forget about the hundred thousand that he's been instructed to lose, and players taking a dive, and potential injury. I mean, so many things. But the key, as I mentioned with the Belichick text, is evidence. Do we have evidence? That is a monster bombshell in that lawsuit, but do we have evidence? How big, and you talked about it being a class action and inviting others, how critical is it for this that other coaches come on board? Let's say it's just for, it remains Brian Flores going forward. Uh, does that weaken it if it's just one person, no matter how strong the evidence, or uh, does it get... Do, do you really in this situation need multiple plaintiffs? I don't know if the word is need. I do do think it strengthens it to have more people involved with similar situations. We have heard about Hugh Jackson, as I mentioned from Cleveland, he made some comments about asked to be to tank as well from that owner. 
we've heard the, uh, Marvin Lewis, who coached the Bengals, say that, yeah, I interviewed somewhere in the gate. They'd already given it to someone. That's going to have meaning and more than reading it in the news if they were actually in the lawsuit willing to state that. I'm sure there's stories out there. Will these people come forward and do what we said about Flores, hurt, if not kill, their future career options in the NFL? I'm not saying if, if Flores is out there alone, it's not a it's not a meaningful case because what we've just talked about are some real issues. I know the NFL is named in three specific teams. The Giants, Broncos, mm-hmm. and Dolphins are named. How much of this, how much with regards to hiring of black head coaches, minority head coaches, is there only so much the league can do? Because the league can't make these individual yeah. owners. I mean, I'm not a Roger Goodell fan. I think the NFL does a lot of things backwards, but I do think they have tried to do some things, put programs in place, but they can't force these guys to to do this in good faith and make hires. So how much of this falls on the league and how much on the individual teams? Yeah, I agree with you because I I often ask people that rail against the NFL for things like this, like, what would you do? <laughs> it's hard to come up with a better system. Um the real problem is you get a owner locking in on a coach. What do you do? You know, if you get an owner saying, come hell or high water, I'm getting that coach. And then everyone's a sham. The, the black, white, green, yellow, brown, they're all shams if you do it that way. And that happens. I think it happened with John Gruden a few years ago in Oakland. Or, yeah, it was Oakland then. Um, I think it happened just now with the Raiders, with Josh McDaniels. I think it happened a year ago with Urban Meyer and the Jaguars, that they were locked in on these names and everyone else. Now, on the flip side of that, I was friends when I was working with the Packers with Bill Polian at the Colts. Polian told me a story that when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fired Tony Dungy, he said, I knew right that moment that he was going to be our next coach. And anyone else he interviewed was a shame, right? Now, in that case, Dungy's black, everyone else white. So I don't know how to answer that. I don't know how to answer when an owner has a zen for a coach. Like, how do you ensure these other ones are going to be meaningful interviews? That's, I don't have an answer. And I mentioned the Rooney rule, and that was a rule put in place, I guess, about 20 years ago or so now. Uh, Basically, that that teams had to interview uh, a minority for a head coaching position. And I think it branched out to assistant coach coordinator, stuff like that. Right. But what what you seem to be having now is teams doing that to just check the box. Oh, yeah, we did that. And now we're going to hire the guy. Does this is the Rooney rule still relevant? I applaud the the thought behind it and put yeah. forth in good faith, but it is obviously being utilized in a lot of places. I don't want to say in bad faith, but just, as I said, a box we have to check on the road to getting the guy we want. Yeah. I don't know if, if teams are looking at check the box. I remember I was in the league with the Packers. You see my helmet there that when the Rooney rule came in and it was just kind of like, okay, guys, you know, if, and when we go through a coaching search, we have to interview a minority candidate. And it was that simple. And then it was extended to general manager. And now, as you said, coordinators. And I think for front office general manager, you also have to interview a woman now, I think. But anyway, yeah, I mean, 
it never was in my experience with the Packers that we never saw it as check the box. We just sort of said, okay, when we put our list together, let's make sure it's a diverse list. It's had limited success. And now all the focus is on the fact that Flores and David Coley were fired. So we're down to just Mike Tomlin. And that's going to be the focus. But the NFL could point to all these coordinators that are black. We just had two black general managers hired for the Bears and the Vikings uh, to go along with a few others, the Dolphins uh, and the Browns and I think a couple others. So, yeah, the snapshot is not good. But you'd like to think that it's, it's not a representation of the effort going into diversity. I think one of the other problems, there's obviously the, you know, just Mike Tomlin being the only black head coach right now. But I've also, one of the things I've noticed, and I've heard people articulate it, but I always kind of noticed it along, is it seems like in in a lot of cases, a black coach will get hired with no margin for error. And they are not given the grace that a lot of white coaches seem to be given to build a program, to really develop, instill what you want to do. I look at Steve Wilkes, who had one year with the Cardinals, and he gets fired, and they hire, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, who... I actually forgot. I went back and looked. Was a mediocre coach in college, win and loss wise at Texas. This was not a guy going to the Orange Bowl to the Sugar Bowl to the national championship. You mentioned David Culley. He was handed a dumpster fire in Houston. I mean, that was a terrible situation. The Deshaun Watson legal woes, a roster that had been you know ripped apart and managed to win five games and you know beat some quality teams and and then he's fired for no discernible reason that seems to be another one of the problems is as difficult as it is for for black coaches to get the job it might in a way almost be harder to keep it and i think that's the current through the lawsuit as well that there are different standards um and you're talking about on the other side of it so we've talked a lot about the hiring side on the firing side there's inequality as well Now, I know people in the NFL will tell you, well, you know, this white coach got fired after one year. This white coach got fired after two years. John Fox, I guess, had four straight winning seasons and then got fired. You know, you'll hear about these stories, but the short-term ones are really stand out, like you said, the Steve Wilkes and the David Coley's and the Brian Flores. You know, that was two years or three years, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, this is something where – The goal, at least stated, and he was on CBS News this morning, of Flores is to effect change. And now that's noble of him. I'm sure he wants some money, too. But whether this suit wins or loses, that's going to be the judge of it, not how much money Flores gets. Like in pick a time frame, six months, a year, two years, we'll look back and say, look what the NFL imposed based on the Flores suit. And my final question, or I guess my final kind of point I want to talk about is kind of, I'd like to take a bigger look here because you look at this and this is alarming and, you know, disturbing, and we've got a way to see what can be proven, what can't, but you kind of put this, you know, within a few months of the John Gruden scandal where his emails are, are leaked as part of the Washington investigation. And he's saying a lot of pretty awful things and this is a guy who was one of the highest profile coaches and 
one of the highest profile announcers for like a decade. The guy kind yeah. of helping to set the agenda of how the league is talked about. And then you t- you look at the race norming thing with the concussion settlements. Yeah. And these are a lot of alarming things that are alarming on their own, but they're kind of all under the umbrella of this one league. And that that's disturbing to me. Yeah, pattern of behavior you mentioned, and it's so ironic because today was the announcement of the Washington football team's new name, the Commander, and on Thursday, there's going to be the Washington football team, now the Commanders, being debated in Congress for their toxic workplace environment, which caught the attention of Congress through the Gruden emails because it just seems so brazen and so normalized for the these people to talk like that and treat women like that. That's a big problem. You raised it and you said it well, where this kind of above it all mentality of NFL teams and owners. Um, You know, what I can say, I worked for the only team that didn't have an owner, but I can see how ownership and their families feel like maybe they're above, they're above everything. You go to owners meetings, they're staying in the nicest places. They have people from the league office are catering to their every need. And to be fair, they invested huge sums of money in these franchises and took a lot of risk and took a lot of debt. And now these franchises you can't buy unless you're one of you know the top 0.00001%. Um, so I think what we have to see is you mentioned the, the, the lawsuits. The final point I want to make is that a lot of people think that NFL owners are quaking in their boots about this because of the discovery phase of the lawsuit. And for people who don't know, discovery is where you ask questions of all these owners and you get documents, right? You get documents and communications and emails and texts. Well, somehow we said this about the lawsuit, the concussion lawsuit. We said this about the Kaepernick lawsuit. We said this about the St. Louis lawsuit. We said this about the Brady lawsuit. We said this about the Ray Rice lawsuit. We've never seen discovery on the NFL. Now, they must have great lawyers, but I don't think they're quaking in their boots worried about discovery in this case. And I know I said final question really quick. How long do you think the timeline is here that till we see some real movement on this case? Well, it has to be certified as a class. I think that'll happen. I The NFL has to answer it. You know, it's a probably has 15 days or 20 days to answer and then it'll be assigned to a judge and then they'll start pretrial hearings. And gosh, it's hard to say. Maybe um, we enter the discovery phase sometime in the spring and we talk about depositions in the summer and maybe a court date in the fall, something like that. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.